this is going to be hated, isn't it? <laughs> as soon as you, as soon as you talk about anything, Twitter related, we're going to keep calling it Twitter. <laughs> as soon as you talk about anything Twitter related, man, people lose their minds. Anyway, moving on. Let's start with all the formal bits. Do the sponsor bit. We'll see how much time we want to blow on the whole Twitter thing. Uh, I'm very curious to see what the engagement is like on this. Uh, and then there's a few data breachy things. I didn't even put it in the description of this week's video because it's just like there is there is just so much interesting things to talk about. So much, so many. Yeah, I know what I mean. We'll get to that. Chris was there. Hello, Chris. How am I? I I'm good. Uh, summer is coming. <laughs> it's nice. It spells like spring, which is nice. G'day, Wayne. James. Wayne, have you been sent a Elgato prompter? What's an Elgato prompter? Is there an Elgato thing I don't have? <laughs> I've got to look at this now. Elgato prompter. I do have a lot of Elgato things as I look around me. I've got, uh, no, that's road. The stream deck, the key lights. I'm sure I've got another Elgato thing. The kids have got stream decks. Shah's got key lights. Elgato prompter, three days ago. The all-in-one teleprompter. Attached to a camera or webcam prompter helps connect you to your audience with natural eye contact. But you see, that only makes sense if you're reading stuff. Which sometimes I do, but it's like random stuff. Oh, wow, that's kind of weird. So this looks like some... Oh, geez. The camera... Ah, this is like what the president <laughs> would read from in a speech. Uh, yeah, it's powered by your computer and mirrors scripts stream chat or any window you drag and drop into its built-in screen with unmatched compatibility and stream deck support prompter makes pro video production accessible to all now that would have been really useful when i was doing pluralsight courses and things like that which i have not done for some time wow that's cool isn't it does it plug into your normal camera or do you have to uh, uh well it does list Camlink. Yeah, that's the other Elgato thing I use, Camlink. So I can use my nice Sony, what is it, AS6400, something, something, with a nice lens and plug it into the PC as a webcam. Wayne says it's a monitor. Drag anything to it. James, sounds like it would be fun to play with. Sounds like a tax deduction to me. <laughs> anyway, anyway, where were we? Sponsor. Let's do sponsor before we jump into the contentious stuff. Sponsor this week as they have been for many weeks this year, is Collide. Got Linux and Mac and Windows and iOS and Android, which is basically all of them. Then Collide has a device trust solution for you. Click here to watch the demo. Uh, Collide has been fantastic this year, and, and they do, they do uh, make sure that they target all the different platforms uh, and give people lots of information about it as well. Uh, go and check these demos out. Challenges of implementing zero trust across, or access rather, with Okta, how Cloud integrates with Doctor to keep untrusted devices from accessing your company's apps. If I had that prompter, I could be looking at the camera right now and you'd feel much more engaged. <laughs> How end user remediation removes the IT bottleneck that often derails zero trust initiatives. And uh, if you're like me and you have been in the corporate environment, you have seen many IT bottlenecks in the past. Go check them out. Julian says the challenge with prompters is not having your eyes go from side to side when speaking. Yeah, because otherwise you're like, Maybe if the field of view is small enough with the prompter that you're only going from... That's still going to look weird, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe we'll try it. 
Wayne says the software allows you to position the text in the middle of the screen, large enough to help you mitigate that issue. Hmm. What I'm going to do, I'm going to leave that here on one of my gazillion tabs. They're all left there because I'm going to come back to them and do something useful with it. <laughs> Is there a way of counting automatically the number of tabs you have open in Chrome? Because when I press that little down arrow, oh, there's a long scroll list. I was looking at buying that. I'm going to come back to that other thing. That I thought was in. Uh, I feel it's almost like loss aversion. Like I don't want to close the tab <laughs> in case in case I don't follow through and do the thing that I was thinking of doing originally. All right. Speaking of doing things, and uh, now that Wayne has made me feel self-conscious about looking other directions than the camera, I will move this right in front of me so I'm looking just below the camera to read the Twitter thing and dive into this. Wow, that... Uh, that escalated quickly, as they say. Right, so context here. Um, how long ago is this? A day and a half ago. <laughs> 1.3 million views on this tweet, which would make it one of my more popular tweets. I think there's lots of interesting aspects to this that dive into various things that I feel I have some direct first-hand experience with, and then I have a lot of opinions on. Let's just start with... Uh, with the tweet from at support. Starting today, we're testing a new program, it's called Not A Bot, in New Zealand and the Philippines. New, unverified accounts will be required to sign up for a $1, doesn't say whether it's New Zealand or American dollars, but it's American dollars, <laughs> annual subscription to be able to post and interact with other posts. Within this test, existing users are not affected. But I'll tell you what, existing users have got some opinions on it. There's no doubt about that. They go on. This new test was developed to bolster our already successful efforts to reduce spam, manipulation of our platform and bot activity while balancing platform accessibility with the small fee amount. It is not a profit driver. And so far, subscription options have proven to be the main solution that works at scale. More details. Now, admittedly, I haven't actually read the more details. That... Um, that Twitter tweet there has been seen 29 million times, not a bot. Uh, there's really not much more detail on, on, the, on the page it links through to. Uh, ah, the pricing, yes. It is uh, New Zealand, 1.43 New Zealand or uh, Philippines. Philippines, is it pesos? I've been to the Philippines a lot and I can't remember now. Anyway, 42.5 Philippine currency. Let's stick with that. Now... I'll just read my tweet and then we'll, we'll delve into it because there's a lot, a lot to unravel here. So I saw this and I had some time available because <laughs> I knew it was going to, I knew it was going to take time not to tweet it, but to respond to all the responses. Because one of the fascinating things about Twitter is people there love to complain about Twitter. They love it. It's fascinating. And it's like, it's always, it's always been an environment where, people behave like they're not there in person. And I know this like, sounds like a funny thing to say, but you know what I mean. Like behave in ways that they wouldn't uh, if they were there in person. So people get a bit rambunctious. But this year, because of all the shenanigans with Elon, etc., I'm fascinated by the number of people who remain on Twitter and deride Twitter. Now I can think of some people who I won't name in particular 
who I've just seen constantly so vocally derogatory, or why are you still there? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing there? If you don't like it, go and use the other one, or the other three that there are now. Like, you have alternatives. Oh, but none of your friends are there. Right, different problem. Okay, so my tweet, quote tweet. And I knew it was going to ruffle feathers. That's why I started by saying this will be a hugely unpopular thing. However, <laughs> here we go. I've said, the premise of attaching a nominal cost to a previously free service in order to combat abuse is exactly what I did with the Have I Been Pwned API keys four years ago linked to blog post. Now, I want to explain more about what I did, why I did it, and what I have seen as a result, and how it is relevant to the discussion here, even though they are different services. Yes, I know they're different services. You don't have to keep reminding me. I built one of them. I spent a lot of time on the other one. I probably know that better than, yeah, they say better than anyone. So in the beginning, when have I, and feel free to chime in with the comments here as well. Um, Stefan's here as well. We're just talking about this offline. <laughs> the stream showed up weird on my phone. Comments to say what a no chat works fine on the laptop. I wonder why people doing dodgy things don't want financial records. We'll get to that, mate. Trust me, we will get to all of this. So yes, please feel free to chime in on the comments. Uh, this is meant to be, it is going to be tongue in cheek. And I will preface all of this by saying, I know when I write tweets like this, it's going to piss people off. I know that. I would like to think that I base them on fact and experience and reasonable arguments and respond in a fairly lighthearted fashion. Uh, I know how to piss people. If you're getting pissed off about this and this is your biggest thing in life that makes you upset, good on you. You're doing well. You don't have any serious problems. Right into the history with Have I Been Pwned. When it launched almost 10 years ago, oh gee, we're about six weeks out from the 10th birthday, we better figure something out. So almost 10 years ago, there was an API behind the search box on the front of the page. Basically, the site hasn't changed in 10 years in terms of the UX. Big search box, you put in your details, your email address, you click submit, async callback via JavaScript to an API endpoint, and that returned the results. And I didn't expect anyone to use it. It got popular almost immediately. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just make the API available to everyone. And then lots of people will be able to do good things with it. So I just documented what was already there. And people did good things. And then some people didn't do good things. There was what I would, what I would classify as dark patterns. I don't know if abusive patterns is too strong a word, but I was seeing deliberate mass enumeration of email addresses in ways that just didn't feel good. It, this is not an individual looking through their collection or their family's addresses. There's too many for that. This isn't an organization. They're not all in the same domain. Uh, this is someone going through very often like alphabetically. That's one, one of the giveaways. It's like you're going through a big list, aren't you? Didn't feel good. So I put in a rate limit. And the rate limit I put in was one request every one and a half seconds. And the rate limit was implemented by IP. And it was implemented in app, which meant that if you started making too many requests, the app was keeping track of how many requests each IP address made. Make too many requests, it comes back with HTTP 429 with a retry after header, which says come back really in no more than two seconds. Uh, retry after headers have got to be an integer amount of seconds. <clears throat> so I did that and I thought, that's it, job done, <laughs> like problem solved. It wasn't for two main reasons. Number one is that what tends to happen, and this has been a recurring theme since then, is when people get an HTTP 429, they just keep going. They're like, oh, I got a 429. 
I will immediately make another request. 429, immediately make another request. And eventually one of the requests goes through and then they repeat the process. My app, my code attached to my wallet via the virtue of the fact it was all running on Azure was having to deal with all of the crap. So it was getting hammered by that. The other thing was, turns out people can get lots of IP addresses. Now we all know that. We all know that there's botnets and things. We're gonna talk a lot about bots today. That's a problem. And it's a problem that can happen at scale as well. In particular, if someone is determined enough, they go through and they just get a heap of IP addresses and, and you've got issues. Now I partly resolved this by using Cloudflare and by putting the rate limits. In fact, this was the thing that took me to Cloudflare in the first place. And I partly implemented by using the rate limits at the Cloudflare edge. So at least it wasn't my app having to deal with tons and tons of 429s. It was the Cloudflare edge. That took a lot of burden off the app. App ran faster, scaled less, cost me less money. Good job. Didn't solve the IP address problem. So the only way I was going to solve the IP address problem is rather than being an unauthed app, it would have to be an auth app. You would have to have an API key. And then that key is what the rate limit would be attached to. That kicked the can down the road in terms of, all right, well, how do I make sure we don't just have people come and get tons and tons of keys? You know, I can't just chuck a capture on there. There's circumventions for that. And if someone's motivated enough, they'll buy anti-automation circumvention defense, anti-circum, yeah, you know what I mean. They'll get around it. So uh, I went, all right, I will attach a cost to it. And so that's gonna bring us back to Twitter. <clears throat> $3.50 American a month, and you get a key. And that is such a small amount of money that for anyone actually using this to do good things, to build it into their application or check their customers' email addresses on registration or whatever it may be, it won't matter. It's a nothing burger of money. <clears throat> and what I actually found, and this was sort of the theory going into it, is it's not just the cost, and it wasn't so much the cost, it was more the fact that the only way you're gonna get a key is you have to have a payment card to buy the key. Now you don't just have to have a payment card, but we'll come back to that later on. You have to be able to make payment via Stripe, and Stripe uh, does give you some other options. Uh, and that really attaches your identity to the payment. Uh, and the theory there was that once you start getting your identity attached to this, it does have a habit of, uh, of reducing abuse. <clears throat> So I rolled that out, I think it was August 2019. I remember riding it in an Airbnb in Oslo. It's a difficult time of life, another story. But pushed it out, and since then, the abuse stopped entirely. As in, I have not seen, in all honesty, a single instance, with the exception of fraudulent purchases of keys. I'm going to come and talk about that later on, because that's another thing that we've completely stopped. And this is where my tweet thread goes on here. I said, this stopped abuse dead. Not a little bit, not mostly, but 100%. The reason wasn't that there was no longer an ROI for abusers, rather it was because you had to stump up a credit card and that could be traced back to you. Combine that with Stripe doing a very good job of identifying fraudulent use of cards. Our dispute rate is 0.01% for the last six months. And now it's very unattractive to do nasty stuff with the service. So that was my experience. Now, a couple of things I'll expand on there because people have challenged me on this. One of the things I've seen people challenging me on, and I do have a big list we're going to go through, is they've said that they've laughed at the premise of Stripe having low fraud rates. 
Now, <laughs> Stripe's a very clever service, uh, and you do pay for it. So what, um, what we found with Stripe is, first of all, you're delegating responsibility for all of the handling of payment cards. So if you've not built a system using Stripe before, I'm sure you've probably used Stripe before because if you buy stuff online, chances are you've used Stripe. But when you build a system using Stripe, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. But at the end of the day, you don't handle the card. Stripe handles the card. That makes things a whole lot easier in terms of the PCI compliance. It also means that you don't have to build a lot of the plumbing. They do the verification. They do the charging. They do the subscription management. They do the sending people an email if their balance uh, is obviously too low and the purchase has been declined. They, they abstract away so much of the work. Different ways of integrating Stripe into your app. When I first started out, I wanted everything to feel like the Have I Been Pwned experience. And I wanted you entering your credit card into what looked like the Have I Been Pwned site, but it was really an iframe painted on by Stripe. Uh, and that was sort of my, my working theory at the time. Over the course of time, and I think it was about November last year, I started using embeddable pricing tables, which then links you through to Stripe. Now I don't even have those. I've just got prices on the Have I Been Pwned page. Click a link and you are straight off to Stripe and you never enter a credit card seeing anything other than a Stripe interface. So Stripe is the recipient of the card details, uh, which, which they always were, but directly into their UI as well. Everything you do is within that Stripe ecosystem. The other thing that we did, and this goes back, this is another another thing I remember doing in Oslo, except this was the end of end of November last year, is we turned on radar. So Stripe has got this uh, this fraud detection system, which they call radar, and you can tweak rules in radar. And for obvious reasons, I'm not going to say exactly what our rules are, but we did go through and do a bunch of tweaking because we saw common patterns that were leading to disputes. So we had a bit of a period there around the October-November period last year where there were a lot of fraudulent payments made. Now, when I say a lot, it would have been single-digit percentages, but it's enough that it consumed our time. And the, the other thing about Stripe, this, this still bugs me, but I, I think they're more beholden to the to the uh, payment card industry, is that if, if someone's, let's say someone's card is stolen, uh, stolen by a bad guy. Bad guy makes a purchase and then the legitimate owner of the card disputes the purchase. We have to pay, I think it's $25, full stop for the dispute. Let's say someone uses the card themselves but then wants to be an asshole and tries to dispute the payment. We still have to pay $25 even if we win the dispute. If you lose the dispute, you lose the $25 and the payment amount. If you win the dispute, you lose the $25, but you get to keep the payment out. So it's kind of crazy that there is such a high cost to disputes. So there's a lot of incentive to not have disputes. So we went and turned on radar. Uh, and I'm just trying to see if I can see anywhere here in our uh, dispute activity. What I can see for my dispute activity is for the last few weeks, it is 0%. <laughs> for the last four weeks is what this graph is showing me at the moment which is fantastic. Uh, if I go back though to one year, this will be interesting. This one takes a little bit little bit of time to load. It's going to group it, uh, I think, by month here. If I go back, what I'll see is that we had various numbers of disputes, again, still like single-digit percentages, around the uh, November-December mark uh, last year. We then 
went down to basically zero. And this thing's just taking a long time to load. I do see a lot of blocks here, uh, which is interesting. Our block rate is about two, just over 2%, 2.15% 2 of transactions, which is apparently higher than similar businesses. Now, maybe it's because Have I Been Pwned is the sort of service that people try to do shitty things to. This is the percentage of attempted payments that Radar blocked, either because of their risk score or a rule. You can adjust the risk scores that Radar, I moved the mouse off, that Radar blocks by default. Um, now, this is interesting. Why can't I see this by month? Our dispute, our fraudulent dispute rate for the last year is 0.2%, which includes that, uh, that period where things are a little bit weird. Uh, well, you know what I can do? I can actually go back to that month. I can go back to like November last year and I'll get a different figure and it's going to be a lot higher. Point is, is that once we turned on radar, we're literally down to a number that rounds to 0% if you use the first couple of decimal places. <laughs> like it's so, so, so tiny. Now, a bunch of people came back and they argued and like, ah, oh, it's easy to get around Stripe and everything. There's lots of different ways of using Stripe. The way we set it up is very solid now. Very, very solid. And, I, and I, I hope I'm not putting a challenge out there to anyone because I don't want to have disputes. It costs us money and it costs us time. It's not much fun, but it has worked out really well. There's a lot that goes into radar. And I'm not going to talk about my settings, but if let's go and pick a payment here. And without sort of naming a name of who made the payment, I'll pick a recent payment and we'll see. All right. Uh, <clears throat> I wonder if I can pick a blocked one. That might be fun. Fraud and risk. Overview. If it's in there. Nope, that's another graph. All right, if I go to payments and I'll go to, let's go status blocked. So let's have a look at a blocked payment and see why it got blocked. All right, someone here, $3.95 today blocked. Now, if I go into... Oh, you previously attended a charges card when the customer's bank declined that payment at directed Stripe to block future payments. Okay, not a great example. Can we see one that was blocked for other reasons? Uh, nope, same one for that one. What I want to see is a risk evaluation that is higher. Because it's fascinating to look at how much stuff goes into risk. You know, I'll just read what's in a normal one that has a zero risk. So, and this is all public knowledge. It's not the way we've configured it. Risk factors for this payment are compared to payments across the Stripe network. Now, because Stripe does so many different payments, this is not like a Stripe pitch either. I want to get back to the Twitter things, but it's relevant here. Because Stripe does so many payments across so many different services, so many different email addresses, credit card numbers, IP addresses and everything, it has got a huge network to be able to refer to when it's trying to figure out if something is fraudulent or not. So for example, fraud history. Are there previous disputes from this IP address? Keeping in mind that all of these just change a rating. They're not, most of them are not like immediate, you know, no, you don't get a payment. They all factor into the rating. Were there any previous early fraud warnings from this IP address? Then there's the customer details. So it's customer's email just here. The time since this first, this email was first seen on the Stripe network. This person was first seen four years ago. It's not a brand new email address. The name of the person. Are the name and the email address similar? That's one of the things I use for risk evaluation. Now, in this case, they're not. But the risk of this payment was still zero. 
Authorization rate for transactions associated with this email address over the period of time is 83%. The number of declined cards previously associated with this email address in the last seven days was one. Time since first card decline associated with email two years ago. Any related customers? Check out details. There are IP addresses here. There are internet service providers here. The authorization rate for transactions associated with this IP address over all time. The number of cards previously associated. That feels redundant with the other stuff. Uh, time since IP was first associated with the card. Number of names previously associated with this IP. Time since customer was first seen on Stripe network with this IP address. Operating system, browser, device brand, device model, number of cards previously associated with this device ID in the last seven days. Time since card was last. I'm going to keep going because I'm trying to make the point here that this is much more complex than what people think it is. Checkout behavior, the card number was typed, the expiry date was typed, the CVC was typed, the postcode was typed, the email address was typed. Here's the issuing bank, the country they're in, the card name, the card number, we only see the last four digits. The card type, the number of countries previously associated with this card number on authorized payments in the last seven days. Is it a debit card? Is it a prepay card? I saw a question about this come up later on. In this case, yes, it is a prepaid card, but it is not a debit card. Number of names previously associated with this card number in the last seven days it was actually three, which is interesting. The distance between the billing and the shipping address. Now, we don't collect a shipping address, so it's not really relevant. The distance between the shipping and the IP address. The distance between the billing and the IP address. And then there's some payment details. So my point is, is that Stripe has an enormous amount of information here to start forming assessments about risk. We can then go in and tweak a bunch of these. We can create a bunch of additional rules. I'm not going to tell you what those are for obvious reasons. But we've gotten them to the point where, how far have I got to go back since we last had a dispute? Can we just agree a long way? Like a long, long, long way. Incidentally, I also don't believe that we're having, <coughs> excuse me, many false positives because we have a ticketing system where people can report as soon as they have any sort of problem. And I have not seen a single case where someone has been blocked based on fraud issues and it's been raised in a ticket. Lots of cases where the individual's bank has declined the transaction for various reasons, but not false positives based on radar. Point is, our experience with radar is enormously positive, your mileage may differ. Maybe, let's be blunt about it, maybe you just haven't done a very good job of setting it up. Comments. Uh, where are we? James says, I bitch about Twitter, but I also tweet, tweet it, treat it like a bad part of town. I only go there when I have a reason and with a friend, I don't know. Question here, can Stripe be configured to deny prepaid throwaway cards? The fact that it's captured here as a metric, we should be able to then configure that in radar. Uh, someone might correct me later on, but I would imagine the answer to that is yes. I don't know that it would be a good idea though. Uh, James is saying, question, Christopher says, anyone know how to disable the stupid heart quick emoji control that covers up the bottom right-hand part of the chat window at the end of the news? Oh yeah, that does get in the way, doesn't it? I don't know the answer to that. Brendan says, do also note that Twitter themselves uses Stripe as their payment provider, at least in the web app. Yes, exactly. And I made this point multiple times in response to various stupid things that people said. I did tell you I'm doing this partly lighthearted. So the various stupid things that relate to that is, you know, 
Number one, talking about the the prevalence of fraud and how much it happens and how hard it is to stop. Again, inconsistent with my experience using Stripe. But number two is people saying, well, Elon just wants your payment details. Yeah, he wants your credit card number. He wants your finance stuff. That's not how Stripe works. Like looking at this individual here, if I try and get everything I can about their card and about their payment, all I can get out of this is the last four digits of the card, the expiry date. Oh, this person does have some funky stuff. They've just had multiple subscriptions over the period of some time, which they've created and then killed. Okay, that's fine. Legitimate card though. Wait, wait, wait. Expiry date, the type of card, and and that's it. Like that's that's all we get. Now, we also collect the address, like the physical address. I don't like this. I hate this. <laughs> we have to because tax. Uh, and without going through or down a complete rabbit hole, this is something Scott Helm and I have discussed many, many, many times before. Scott is in New York at the moment, so he's probably asleep. Uh, unfortunately, being a business online, depending on where you are and where your customers are, you often have to collect tax. In order to collect tax, you need to collect address details. We literally have to go through and collect tax from European registered organizations and every quarter submit VATOS returns where we pay tax back to European tax authorities, as well as, of course, doing it in Australia as well. And we have to collect address for that. It's a tangential issue. The argument people are making is Elon's trying to collect your card details. He doesn't get that. He might have you in Stripe as a customer, so it's easy for you later to go on and purchase other things he might want to sell you. But the argument about collecting your payment details is just stupid. That is not how it works. All right, so that was Brendan's point about using Stripe. Um, James, if I were a scammer, I'd be simulating card typing. Well, this is get, gets into that sort of really interesting space of the the arms race that is anti-fraud defences and then anti-anti-fraud defences and then anti-anti-anti. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? Uh, and of course, this is one of the one of the patterns that we look for when trying to defend against fraud. Is the person behaving like a normal human? But there's a couple of things with that. So number one, yes, you would try and circumvent that as an attacker. But number two, usually when I go and buy something online, I autofill from one password. Now, that is a perfectly valid way of paying. Should that then trigger fraud detection? No, but just as we saw with this person over here where they had something that was a bit flaky in their, in their, their fraud, uh, oh yeah, the email address, the name on the email address didn't match the person's name. Um, that was not enough to even take the fraud up above zero. So it's, it's one metric. So to your point, James, yes, you could do that, but then you've got to try and tick all the other boxes as well. You know, then are you using a card that's been around for some time and has been associated with that IP address for a while? No? Well, okay, now we're starting to, yeah, let's say there are like 20 or 30 different metrics that they show you there. Now you've got to start to try and fill in those metrics as well to bump up your threat score uh, or rather keep your threat score down. So they want zero is good, 100 is bad. And then, of course, you can go through as the operator of the, the service and decide at what point do different things happen? At what point do we need manual review? At what point do we block the payment? And we spend a lot of time tweaking those numbers down to the finest, finest percent to get that real sweet spot. Uh, 
Julian, been off X, formerly as Twitter, we still call it Twitter, 14 month. Now, pity I missed all the current drama. It's still there, mate. <laughs> you can go and look at it. And so long as you're not in New Zealand or the Philippines, you don't have to pay a dollar if you have to create a new account. Get in while it's cheap. Merrick, payment systems. My very first e-com site maxed out the CCs of the first few customers due to undocumented features of the payment we integrated with. I've said this before, but, but Stripe is enormously impressive. There are various things I don't like about it that I think that could make a lot easier. Uh, recently, we put the prices up on Have I Been Pwned. The only way we could put them up because prices are immutable is I had to create new prices and then I literally had to script against the API to roll people from the old price to the new price and individually make requests to every single active subscription to do that. It kind of feels like there should be a button somewhere, which is like, just migrate everyone from here. To, it's, it's stuff like that. But they're things that, for the most part, are solvable. It was a community college, and we caught it early. I was first in the office checking on things. Simon says, I wonder if bad guys use Stripe to reverse engineer. Oh, of course they do. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the game, right? Like, that's literally the way the industry works. Uh, we build defenses. The bad guys try and get around them. And sometimes they find some clever ways. And then we build defenses for that. And next minute, we've gone from SMS to FA to U to F keys to uh, whatever's next. <laughs> like, this is the way it works. All right. So moving on. Back to my tweet here. I said, Clearly, they're not going to make any money out of a $1 annual fee. And for now, that's only new users in two countries anyway. I've no doubt, based on my own experiences, that it will put a massive dent in abuse originating from these markets. I'm just not sure how much it will piss off their user base or how much it will matter. And what I meant by that is how much it will matter that the user base is pissed off. Because I had a whole bunch of pissed off people on Twitter telling me about how pissed off they were at Twitter, still on Twitter, like seeing... Elon's ads, feeding the beast, if I was to use their terms, keeping the whole thing going. So does it matter if people are pissed off and they still stay on the platform? I was discussing this with Charlotte last night and I was, I was saying, I've had the funniest discussions <laughs> online. In fact, I was showing her a DM that someone sent me uh, about this. I'll read you the DM because I've, it, it is self-ingratiating, but I, I think this person kind of they got to the heart of it. So they said, uh, watching your interactions with people about the subscription to X, I'm so impressed with you and how you're dealing with these extremists. More power to you is you've already made the world a better and safer place. Thanks. And I, I think the, the point there is that how you engage with people and deal with people, especially when there's disagreements with you, is very, very important. Anywho, so I was explaining it to Charlotte. And I said, really, I, I think there's probably only two metrics that matter here. One of those metrics is does it reduce the abusive patterns from bots? Obviously. The other metric is, does it reduce the number of legitimate people using the platform? And honestly, I think if those two metrics stack up, it's going to go ahead. Now, who knows if they will? Because Twitter has done some weird stuff in the last year. Like, let's be honest, they have done some super weird stuff. Elon has done some weird stuff. He's a strange duck. A bunch of it's been rolled back. A bunch of it is stuck. Who knows? I don't know. It's entertaining. Now, getting back to the message here, one of the things that came up actually is a bunch of people said, well, why New Zealand and the Philippines? Why these two places? Uh, I saw a comment which, which I think probably summed up pretty well, and they said, well, first of all, English speaking, both locations. Uh, the Philippines has got a, a 
a ubiquitous, I would say, uh, prevalence of uh, of English speaking, uh, being sort of colonised by Americans <laughs> helps there. New Zealand speak a kind of English, we get most of it, but you know, for the most part, it's the same. I would also say that there are two markets that are probably not overly important to Twitter. Sorry, NZ, it's a small country. Uh, it's a, it's I would imagine a reasonable test bed, and you've also got then two very diverse locations uh, as crash test dummies here. You've got NZ, which is you know, part of Five Eyes. They're a very sort of Western country, very similar to Australia, the UK, the US. Uh, Philippines is, is obviously in Asia, a very different culturally diverse place, also very different tolerance to cost too. So I wonder if that's part of it. And this was one of the points that came up. I'm sort of going through talking about stuff I was going to talk about later. But one of the things that came up is the cost of dollar, where people said, well, multiple different ways of looking at a dollar. So number one, a dollar is not enough disincentive to stop bots because a dollar is an easy ROI to make. All you got to do is make back a dollar or in the case of many of the bots, a lot more than that. Uh, and then you've spent the money. The, the issue isn't the dollar. The, the issue is, is that you still got to stump up identifiable payment data in order to sign up and use the service. Uh, and that's that's the thing that stops it. I'm sure some of the abusive patterns we saw on Have I Been Pwned, they could justify, say, the $3.50. That wasn't the thing that stopped it. The other point, and, and this is probably much more relevant, is the tolerance for cost in different parts of the world. Uh, the tolerance for cost in NZ is very different to the Philippines. Uh, the tolerance for cost for somewhere like the US is going to be very different to, let's say, a small African nation, let's say Congo. I'm <laughs> just guessing here, but I, I think it's probably going to be a very different price point. In which case, what's the right amount? Uh, would 50 cents be better? 25 cents? 10 cents? Like, what's if the argument is one of costs, and of course there are many others, but just focusing on the cost, at some point the cost is acceptable to that market and they still have to go through the identity verification thing. So there's a point there. We'll come back to identity verification, privacy, all the rest of it. Uh, I was sharing the comments here. Um, T334 says, don't be surprised if Musk requires Dogecoin payment only. Yeah, but then there's an anonymity factor to it, and I don't think that's going to happen. James says, although typing a card isn't the usual, I suspect typing a card and taking longer to fill out the data is weighted heavily against being marked as fraud. That's why it would be my first target. <clears throat> Possibly. I mean, obviously Stripe themselves don't talk about all the metrics that go into detecting fraud because they're trying not to like show their entire hand. Wow. All right. I'm going to go through my list here because that, that was the original tweet. Now, there are a bunch of arguments that came up, uh, and none of them were very good. <laughs> I'm going to explain why. One of the ones that kept coming up over and over and over again, and it led to the second tweet out of this, is people saying, have I been pwned and Twitter are different? Uh, kept, I, <laughs> well, I hadn't noticed. Thank you for helping with that. One of them is an API service, one is a social media platform. And the point I kept making is it, it, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The, the point is, is that when there is a burden for payment and identification, it has a habit of reducing the nasty stuff. Now, you could be selling forks or 
You could be a porn site, like whatever it may be. I appreciate the greater necessity for anonymity there and everything else. The point is, is that once you've got to stump up money with a card, it massively changes the value proposition for people that want to do nasty things. <clears throat> that is my experience. That is the thesis, inevitably, of why Twitter are making this change. That's the thing they have in common. It doesn't matter that after you make the payment, you have a different experience because they're two different sites. You are completely missing the point if you think it's anyway predicated on the fact that one's like APIs and the other one's complaining to people about Twitter. <laughs> That's completely missing the point. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that came up over and over and over again. The other one that <clears throat> came up many times is people would say, but look at all the verified bots. Look at all the bots paying their $8 a month. This is proof that money doesn't stop bots. Now, I think where, where Twitter has maybe done themselves a bit of a disservice here is <clears throat> I feel like they haven't been clear enough about what activity it is that they want to stop. Because when I see people pointing to all the other bots as proof that money doesn't stop bots, very often it is marketing droid stuff. Uh, now, look, I don't want to see ads for AI and crypto and how to lose weight any more than anyone else does. That fits to my mind well in terms of the organizational spam. I don't like... <coughs> I don't like the real estate agents that walk past my house and put brochures in my letterbox because they're trying to sell more real estate. That to me is the same category as spam as the other stuff. But that's a very automated process too. They pay people to walk out there and put brochures in your, <laughs> in your letterbox. So I don't see it impacting that because if the argument is that it's just marketing material, then the $1 and the otherwise legitimate organ, and I say otherwise legitimate because when it is someone, let's say it's someone advertising, I don't know, weight loss programs or things like that, they want you to go and buy the service. So it's an organization selling a product, advertising, using, in many cases, automated processes. Uh, so I think it's it's sort of important to, to recognize that. Now, clearly, this isn't going to change that. I don't like that. That's kind of what we get from a free platform as well, unfortunately. So... Then, and this is one I kind of find kind of fascinating. I was discussing, just before I started this, this live stream with someone, they said, look at all the bots liking my tweets. This is so annoying. I was like, that, it, it, it changes the number next to the love heart. Like, that's, that's all that happens. They're just likes. Because I thought this person was going to go, see how I was having all these conversations with people and they kept replying. And all the, all the spam got in the way of the legitimate communication. No, this person was genuinely pissed about likes. <laughs> and I ended up saying to him, I think you're too infatuated with what people think of you. Like if you're so worried about bots liking your tweets. <sighs> but as if to illustrate the point, the examples you gave me were bots that didn't have Twitter blue or verified anyway. So... I'm not sure exactly what the business model is of liking lots of tweets. I'm, I'm sure there is some dark pattern scammy thing, but equally I'm sure that it doesn't get into my feed in any way that adversely impacts me. So I don't think that that's 
<laughs> that's a great argument either. The, the other thing I'd say about, uh, yeah, many people reply to this thread with screen caps of uh, verified accounts that appear to be bot activity. There's a little bit of survivorship bias. If you're unfamiliar with survivorship bias, uh, this this term has come, uh, I think the, the, is entomology the right word? History of it was planes would fly back during World War II and uh, they'd be all shot up and the military would look at them and go, well, you know, there's a lot of bullet holes around here. We'll reinforce those areas because that's where they keep getting shot. That makes sense. And that the bias here is that they're looking at the planes that survived and reinforcing what they can see. Now, what, of course, they don't see is all the planes that are shot down are now sitting at the bottom of the ocean somewhere. So, yeah, there's a Spitfire on the bottom of the North Sea that has been shot up in a completely different place, but they don't see that. And I think the survivorship bias as it relates to this is that you're not going to see the bots that have been stopped as a result of this, that they will simply disappear. Twitter will have the metrics, and then you'll have to decide whether you trust their metrics or not. But even as people say that, it's like, look at all of these bots that have paid their dollars. And in fact, I won't bother looking it up because I'll just get, I'll go down the rabbit hole. But someone's making this point. They're like, here's a screen cap. Look at all these bots here. And I was like, okay, but there are lots of examples which are different too. And this person ended up tweeting something about crypto and immediately got bot replies. And every single one of the bot replies wasn't verified. You will always find data to reinforce your point of view. Always. Uh, where are we going with the comments here? Marek says, it's death by a thousand cuts. If all services charge the cost for coffee, it all adds up. That said, we have a customer service as being free, a model that is obviously showing to be unsustainable. And look, this was a lot of a lot of Elon's point about taking over Twitter. He said, look, the thing was unsustainable. It needed to be more profitable. And then people argued with that as well. Who knows? But but clearly, these things need to generate income. Now, whether ad revenue is enough or not, I don't know. Personally, for me, I don't want to go and pay for everything. I've got too many streaming media platforms as it is. Why do I have to have Netflix and Binge and Stan and Disney Plus, <laughs> because there's different things in different places. We're already having to deal with that. But if it was Twitter and I could pay to not see the ads, I'm going in. Screw it. I'm going just to give you an example of some of the the crap that I do end up seeing. And this is not going to be news to you, right? But if I go back to for you, um, actually, let's go back to following. So it's just people I want to see. And as I start spinning through, there's a lot of my tweets there. Why am I just seeing me? No, go to the top. Um, <clears throat> what is an ad here? Uh, there'll be an ad somewhere. <laughs> Can't talk about that. I will talk about that account another time. Is that an ad? Do I follow that guy? No. That's about AI. <laughs> if you're not using AI, you're falling behind. So, I don't like that. I generally don't like that. But then there's a lot of legitimate stuff, a lot of accounts I follow, and then, oh, no, I do follow that one. Maybe I don't need to follow that one. Anyway, the point is you're going to have a bunch of ads and stuff in there. I think that was where I was going with that. So to, to Marek's point, I would be very happy to pay not to see the ads. I find Facebook even worse, if, if I'm completely honest. Um, I'd be happy to pay not to see the ads. Uh, whether it was $1, I would pay $10 a month. I already pay it. Well, actually, I already pay more than that because I, I do pay for the uh, Twitter blue things. 
Um, Marek says, many of these services have never been profitable, and obviously that's not sustainable either. Julian, interesting here, real estate brochures don't qualify as junk mail. Well, yeah, so I, I literally have on our letterbox like a no junk mail sign, and I'm working on strategies to punish those <laughs> who do put junk mail in there. I, I figure I can do something with Home Assistant. I'll talk more about that another day. We'll go down another rabbit hole otherwise. Ben, network ad blocking ad guard or pie hole. Yeah, but that doesn't block the tweets. Uh, I run pie hole very extensively across everything here. Uh, and it doesn't stop the doesn't stop the tweets or the Facebook ads as well. Tmot977 dislikes bots, even if they're liking something that I posted, it just it just doesn't impact me. And I don't know. I don't know why it impacts other people. That original post of mine has got 2,676 likes. Now, I don't know how many of them are from real people, and I don't know how many of them are not, and I don't care because it doesn't make any difference to me. Joel, speaking of ad blockers, one thing X Twitter has gotten right from UX perspective is that if your ad blocker blocks a click-through and you click a second time, it removes the tracker. Hmm, okay. Stefan says, I thought some of the comments from the AI cartoon were interesting. I got in trouble for that too. I don't know if you saw that. But in this thread of mine, where were we? Up there. In this thread, I've read through the first post. Uh, I then had another post just, again, talking about the differences. And then I, I have admittedly gone down a little bit of a, uh, a, a Dali 3 rabbit hole the last few days because I just find it fascinating and yeah, like a, a bunch of stuff it generates is really screwed, but I find it fascinating the quality and how quickly it changed from Dali 2 in such a short period of time. It, it, it's fascinating. Anyway, I, uh, I generated <laughs> some artwork and I said, so my prompt was, comic page style of people using Twitter to complain about how terrible Twitter is. And it, it, it is funny. It is funny. And that there's so many typos and just weird AI shit, in it, but it's still funny. So... Thanks for that, uh, Stefan. <laughs> if you haven't done this before, go on either using ChatGPT or you can do it within Bing as well for free. Uh, go and generate some AI stuff using DALI 3 and just come up with weird stuff. It's just, if, if you haven't done it before, just do it yourself so that you experience it firsthand rather than reading all the bloody Twitter spam about AI. Stefan says, well, they aren't complaining about Twitter X, they're complaining about you using AI. Yeah, that was the thing. So I then had people complain about me using AI. Uh, in fact, <laughs> Stefan sent me, he sent me a link yesterday <clears throat> laughing about this person's response and I clicked on it and I couldn't see the response and then I realized they'd blocked me. I'm just going to read it because I, I then, I figured out how to get around the block, believe it or not. It's called incognito. What did the tweet actually say? I went back to it. Um, here you go. Oh, this person said, and you're a plagiarism supporter. And when this person wrote plagiarism, the A and the I in the middle of plagiarism, they capitalize. And you're a plagiarism supporter, disgusting human, and blocked me. So apparently that is the bar these days for disgusting human. It is using DALI 3 to generate an image. Meanwhile, there's a couple of really big wars going on. But anyway, it's the AI that's the problem. <laughs> uh, Joel, I know that too, and he's a block the URLs. Brendan says, speaking of ChatGPT, I asked it to generate some SQL to throw some random data into a table. Eight on gigabytes of data was thrown in. 
Hey, Stefan, maybe that's the way we could test that thing we're doing. That could be interesting. All right. Where were we? Whistleblowers. <laughs> this is the other argument. And it's such a... such. A, look, I, 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 I get it, but it doesn't make sense. I wonder if I can just search for whistleblowers. And, and then if I search for my name and whistleblowers, Troy Hunt, see what comes up. Now, the, the argument here is that if there's any onus on identifying yourself, it is going to impact whistleblowers. Now, I, I, I think one thing that is not entirely clear yet, and I'm making some assumptions as well, is that the idea of payment will then link your identity. I'm not sure how explicit that will be, and, and time will tell. So is it that yeah, my, my premise with charging on, on Have I Been Pwned was that you will have to have a payment card. A payment card could be traceable back to an individual at a push. Uh, people are less likely to do outright illegal things uh, if that is the case. I think there's a question of would payment cards allow Twitter to trace back to you? Well, I mean, they would allow Have I Been Pwned. I just explained before, I, I have to collect addresses in order to do the, the, the tax things. So maybe... Maybe that is is possible. Uh, it, it's kind of what Facebook does in terms of needing real identities as well. I know that that's not necessarily the same as forcing them to have your home address in there, but uh, it is a valid point that there is a risk to anonymity. That's a very, very valid point. I, I want to acknowledge that because there are many people out there who do want to have social media accounts under the guise of anonymity. Of course, there's then that whole can of worms of, anonymity can be used for good and it can be used for bad and much of the recalcitrant stuff we see or the outright illegal stuff we see on social media is done by people that are taking steps to ensure anonymity. Also, there are many people who may be marginalised or abused or whatever else it may be who want to be able to have the safety of anonymity. Like this is the constant double-edged sword we're dealing with. And generally, in every one of these discussions, if you are completely at this end of the scale or completely at that end of the scale, you're wrong. <laughs> and the answer tends to be somewhere in the middle. <clears throat> All right, so here's a good example. Uh, someone says, RIP whistleblowers slash journalists. Does anyone know if you can pay with a gift card <laughs> or anything not tied directly to your IRL info? Uh, someone else here says, how many whistleblowers? Was oh, this was in response to this person. It's also a massive deterrent for good behavior, e.g. whistleblowers, Antifa and, other types, oh geez, Antifa and other types of people who often see repercussions if not posting fully anonymous. Leaks happen intentionally or not, and having your identity made public can be quite dangerous, even deadly. <clears throat> can you imagine? Like, imagine it was Ed Snowden, and Ed's like, I've discovered all of these things I'd like to blow the whistle on. I was going to do it, but then Twitter required me to put in a credit card. Now I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Thank you. There are so many ways of genuine whistleblowers blowing the whistle. <clears throat> uh, if you really want to blow the whistle anonymously and you have something that is genuinely whistleblowing worthy, you contact a journalist over any of the encrypted chat platforms that so many of them publish these days because they're there to bring exactly this sort of stuff to light. If there is a risk to anonymity by Twitter doing this, it doesn't stop whistleblowers. 
It just means that there is one platform here which is probably no longer suitable. They'll go to the journalist and the journalist will write something and they'll put it on Twitter and it's still there. It's just a, it, it is a nonsensical argument. A better argument is the one about privacy. Uh, privacy and anonymity and people who genuinely want to have that. And that argument, at least at this point in time, only seems to be relevant for new accounts and at this point in time just in NZ in the Philippines. Longer term, if they demand that of everyone, totally agree that raises a massive social issue. And the answers to getting around that, around things like anonymous payment methods, are also the answers to getting around trying to stop the abuse. All of these things go both ways, don't they? So one of the other points here, and I think we've touched on both this, is the stuff I just jotted down. People will just use stolen cards. Now, this is the discussion I just had with Stripe. Uh, stolen cards, again, in my experience, and a well-configured Stripe instance, don't seem to be the problem. And then people said, well, you can easily get non-traceable temporary cards. Now, this is the discussion we've had several times here around things like gift cards. Obviously, Stripe does have an indicator here around whether it is like a prepay card. Um, I think there's, there's still sort of a valid question to be asked here in terms of <clears throat> what is the bot type that this is meant to stop? Because if it is the bot type where there is just mass signups to do everything from like your tweets through to try and sway public opinion, how much does it scale to go and get a disposable card? Now, you know, it's one thing, I guess, to go down to the shops and get like a prepaid debit card that's got a, a visa amount. And, yeah, I haven't even done this. How easy is this, <laughs> folks in the chat? I assume it's easy enough given it's come up so many times. Um, people also made the point about virtual cards. You can go and get virtual cards. Now, I've used one in the past called Entropay. And from memory, the whole KYC thing got very onerous. Uh, if you're not familiar with KYC, it's know your customer. And it is the obligation of financial institutions to be able to establish who their customers are because of things like money laundering. This is interesting. Entropay is a, it no longer works. Entropay is a wholly owned subsidiary of Xaris Group Holdings Limited. Uh, authorized uh, to find out more, go to the Xaris website. Did they shut down? Maybe they did. I don't know. <clears throat> but again, my experience, and please correct me if if you have actual facts <laughs> that are different, is that the ability to anonymously obtain virtual cards is very different today than what it was only a very short time ago. And again, maybe it doesn't matter too much because if that adds that barrier to entry for people running, let's say the bot farms, the word bot farms has come up, term bot farms has come up a bit. For folks running the bot farms where you've got to be able to do this en masse for it to make sense, the establishment of things like virtual cards, which you may not be able to just reuse over and over and over again, does make this a much, much harder problem. It's not going to make it harder for the spam accounts that are being run by legally operating organisations selling their services, such as the, you know, the lose weight pills and whatever else it may be. That's probably a bunch of them that are pretty shady as well. I don't think it's going to impact that. And here's another like massive theme that keeps coming back to mind. This doesn't have to be perfect. It's like any security control. The number of times I've seen people say things like, uh, what's, what's a good example here? Um, 
various fraud detection methods. Uh, I could get around this fraud detection method doing this, therefore it's no good. And this is security absolutism. I've used this term so many times before. I don't know if someone else came up with it or if I just started using it, but security absolutism, where things have got to be perfect, otherwise they're no good. So this whole thing about trying to stop bots, it doesn't have to stop 100% of them. What if, for argument's sake, it stopped 25% of them? Like, would that be good enough? Maybe it would be. I don't know. I guess they have the metrics somewhere. Okay. Let me look at the comments because I'm getting to the end of this now. Joel says, Seth Jerez did a great session on what AI at MS Build AI Day today uh, in London. Don't think it was recorded though. Uh, fun fact, I have had Seth Jurez here in my house. I threw him off the back of a jet ski as part of a video we did for Microsoft. Great bloke. James, that's why I have to be specific, and Google will pay almost $1 million a year uh, for prompt engineers. Uh, I think it's about the AI. Prompting AI is almost like a contract with the devil. It will always find that loophole you didn't think about, which is fun. James says, Facebook has a tour page. That might be a good way to get something out. Hmm? George says, virtual cards in Australia are tough, though. Simon says, very easy to get virtual cards. You guys should get together and between yourselves decide on which one it is. Because this is the other thing that keeps happening. This is not just about this thread. But you have completely opposing statements. So, Simon, can you drop into the thread a link to where you can very easily get a virtual card? Uh, and I'm not trying to be smart about it. Like if, if this is genuinely a thing, I'd, I'd like to see it. Uh, I think it is much harder than it was before. I don't know how much George is right. Uh, but Simon, if you can drop that link in, that would be great. Stefan says, security mostly just has to be good enough to not make the effort to get around it worthwhile. I agree with that. And I would add to that and say, most of the time. <laughs> like again, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be... Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. And as James says, perfect is the enemy of the good, which is which is very very true. So I think um, I think that that's that's just something that's very very key to this discussion, and I feel is getting missed. Uh, this absolutism of if it is not perfect, and there are these ways of getting around it, and people could still pay eight dollars because look at all the other bots. That doesn't make it bad. Anyway. Null division. Uh, what do I say? And I was about the Israel Stahelos. Let's put that in the way out of my league to make informed comments on. All right. Now, I had one more point in here, and I'm going to raise it because I did put it in the, uh, in the notes for what I was going to talk about, and it's here, and I think it's a very, very important point. People are upset about this because Elon Musk is a poo-poo head. Now, I was going to say I'm paraphrasing, but I'm sure someone has said this. <laughs> the number of times you, you see someone making an argument and a cornerstone of their argument, there's an argument against Twitter, and a cornerstone of their argument is a dislike of Elon Musk, I find fascinating. Now, you see all of these terms all the time, all these derogatory terms. You see like Elmo used a lot. Uh, some much, much stronger wording as well. I did see one term today, which I did laugh at, uh, and they called him Space Karen. <laughs> I, think that's, I think Space Karen is a funny term. But if your argument 
for why this is a bad idea is because Space Karen, that's not an argument. That's you not liking someone. <laughs> that's completely different to whether this model, which a bunch of people have sat down on the tools and built, and it would have had a bunch of other input, and who knows how much Elon overrode people and forced them, bent them to his will. But if your argument is you don't like him, that is a separate problem. There's a lot of stuff I don't like about him. I think there's been some ridiculous stuff. I've got to keep reminding people, like it's, okay, since he took over, I have somewhat enjoyed, I guess, giving people shit about still being on Twitter while I was complaining so much about it. And so many times people are, ah, you're just an Elon Musk fanboy. There are so many tweets from me over the years saying how much I dislike so much of of the way he's positioned Tesla. <clears throat> if you look for my name and Tesla on Twitter and you go back over the years, you'll see over and over and over and over again, I've really disliked what he's – amazing cars, all this sort of thing, but it's things like the full self-autopilot, uh, um, uh, for example. The number of times it'll be like a Tesla has crashed from autopilot. Maybe it's because you called it autopilot. Why didn't you call it assisted driving? Yeah, this all sounds more boring. Anyway, point is, it's – it's not a Musk thing. I'm by no means a fanboy there. But you also can't pop up and go, this guy's an idiot. He has no idea what he's doing. I have no idea how he became the richest person in the world. Obviously, he's stupid. It just, it is a child's argument to use derogatory names about the guy who owns the service as a reason why something like this doesn't work. And again, he's done a lot of stupid stuff. Chief that comes to mind with Twitter is that whole thing about not being able to link to external social media platforms. I remember where I was the moment I heard about that. I was in a cabin in Norway and Scott Helm rushed into my room and he said, well, you wouldn't believe what Elon has just done. And we're like, shit, well, that's, that's stupid. And of course it didn't stick. It got rolled back. Uh, there are other things he's come up with that haven't stuck. Uh, removing block so that you could only mute. Now, I didn't have such a big issue with that because in my experience, I think block is actually, I think block escalates a lot of the time. Uh, other people actually made a very, I think the one remaining good point people made about it is they said it, it, it does stop someone from being able to point to you in a conversation and then they, so they just screen cap your Twitter profile and put in there anyway. Geez, the number of times I see this, some of you will know what I'm referring to now, but there seems to be some infighting within one corner of the infosec industry that's been going on for a few months and people have blocked each other and so on. And all I see is just constant screen caps being posted to timelines with the person's Twitter handle. Anyway, they obviously didn't end up doing that. So the point is he's come up with a lot of stuff which he's then rolled back and it just simply hasn't gone anywhere. But to decry things purely on the basis of Elon as opposed to being objective about the merits of what's being proposed is short-sighted and childish. There, I've said it. Okay. Uh, Joel says, nearly woke my wife sniggering <laughs> poo-poo head. But it's true. Like, if you've got... Even my kids are too old to use words like that. They're 11 and 14 now. They don't use words like poo-poo head. But... Grown adults, I assume, on Twitter. It's just, yeah. <laughs> like if I was to do a search like Troy Hunt Elmo on Twitter, look at the latest ones. Yeah, like, okay, this person. That a paywall 
that a paywall, even if Miniskill stops bots, doesn't strike me as new. The issue is with Elmo <laughs> promising a technical solution that would solve the bot issue. So I, I just, as soon as you use words like that, the rest of your sentence looks stupid. Someone here, last episode, you argued getting rid of block function would be a masterful gambit by tech genius Elmo. Well, I then explained to the guy the first bit was wrong, plus Elmo. Someone else, a few years from now, all that's left is scam bots scamming other scam bots and Elmo concerned about new companies. <laughs> Use your grown-up words. Come on. This is ridiculous. All right. I've been going for almost an hour and 10 minutes. I'm going to talk about two data breaches really quickly just so we can finish on something that's a little bit more on topic. Uh, let me see. I wouldn't mind, Simon, if you do have that link for the very easy-to-get virtual cards, please drop that in. And if you find it later on, or if someone else listens to this and finds it later on, Send me a DM. I genuinely want to know how easy is it to legally <laughs> or even illegally. Simon says, I gave it twice. Uh, Simon, I'm not seeing it here in the chat, mate. Uh, I did. Was it earlier on? Uh, I also gave one. What? What if? Oh. Is anyone else? Because Wayne says, I also gave one. George says, wonder if uh, YouTube is censoring it. I am not seeing those links. Is anyone else seeing those links? DM me um, on Twitter. Privacy. Oh, privacy.com, Simon says. All right. Let's have a look. Privacy.com. Protect your payments and keep free trials free. Okay, that's cool. Get privacy now. Uh, virtual cards, that's good. Uh, okay. I'm going to have a look at that later on because this is the sort of thing I'm going to have to read because as soon as I got here, it's like, I'm a US resident and I agree to the terms. <laughs> I wonder what's in the terms because who knows there? Prohibited industries. You may not use the services for the following business activities. Paraphernalia that may be used for illegal activity. Unauthorized multi-level marketing business. Isn't that like bots? Some of them? Rebate-based businesses. Betting industry. Lottery tickets. Sports trade. Gambling. Casino gaming. Chips. Off-track betting. Wages at races. Manual or automated cash reimbursements. Prepaid cards or checks. Really? You can't use the services for prepaid cards? Oh. Sales or money orders of foreign currency, wire transfer money orders, high-risk products and services, including telemarketing sales, or any industry that exposes you, other privacy users, apart. but no one's going to read that anyway, are they? All right. Uh, can confirm US only. I'm an Australian. I use it myself. Okay. But hey, that's good to know because I would actually find these things useful for doing legitimate things as well. I'm going to have a look at that later on, trying to understand exactly what it does. Dave the Vacuum says, what do you think of Dashlane using SpyCloud for their breach monitoring? Uh, first I've heard of it, no idea. I used to know people at SpyCloud. I think they've moved on. Let me do one last data breachy thing so I can just talk about what's going to have I been playing this week because this is going to be like an unprecedentedly long video at the moment. Uh, two things <laughs> in have I been pwned. Not significant. Phoenix, the virtual or the Vintage Messaging Reborn. So there is a website out there called Phoenix, which is literally like old school 90s style AOL messaging because some people still want to do that. 
why would you do that when you could just go onto Twitter and complain? Because <laughs> it'd be so much easier. Anyway, uh, 75,000 unique email addresses breached in mid-2021, IP addresses, usernames, and passwords. Uh, that is 56% of those already in Have I Been Pwned. Now 100% of those are in Have I Been Pwned. And then the one that went in two days ago, the Android app and review website, Android Lister, 6.6 .6 million records in 2021. The data includes email, which I spelled with a double L. Why did I do that? Name, username, and salted SHA-1 password hashes. 49% of those already in Have I Been Pwned. That's a data breach that's been floating around for a while. I had it. I couldn't find any disclosure. I couldn't find any information online. Uh, I filed it, eventually came back to it, tried to do disclosure. I tweeted the other day trying to find a contact. I filled in the Facebook Messenger, filled it in. I sent a Facebook message to the company. I was like, hey, I'm Troy Hunt. I get data breaches. You're in there. And I just couldn't get a reply from them. So uh, nothing back from those folks, unfortunately. So yeah, who knows? All right, looking at final comments here. Brendan says, can confirm, got the Phoenix breach. Oh, okay, you're in there. Well done. Congrats. I think I signed up for escargot just so I could better understand MSN Messenger back in the day than subsequently forgot about it. Yes, so, yeah, all, all related, all now in Have I Been Pwned. Um, it has, I, I would have done more data breaches. I have had a, a very busy week actually writing code for Have I Been Pwned. One of the things that we, we didn't have a good mechanism for before is when people who've signed up for subscriptions want to change their email address. Now, how many different services do we see where it's easy to change your email address? So, yeah, of course, you should be able to change your email address. It just really hadn't been much of an issue until we started launching the subscription services. And then the problem is we've got to change it in Stripe. Stripe will allow you to have multiple subscribers with the same email address but have I been pwned won't because it's a unique constraint on that. It's one email address gets one subscription. Uh, we used to have a very manual workflow. People had to log a ticket and shall it go and change it and stripe it, call a webhook, it update, have I been pwned, but not under certain circumstances. Built all that this week, <laughs> rolled it out so you can now nominate another email address. Then you've got to get an email to that address and then it's got to tell you if there's already a Stripe account using that address. Otherwise, it's got to link you back to the have I been pwned website. And you click the button and approve it. Email address changes. It makes it sound much more complex than what you probably thought it was because it is. <laughs> but it's done and it's out there now. So if you have a Stripe uh, subscription in your Have I Been Pwned service, there's now a button to change your email address. Uh, and for God's sake, don't change it to someone else's name. Like use a, like a DL or something generic so that when you leave the company and someone else inherits your job, you don't then have to go back and change. But then again, you don't have to log a ticket anymore. Oh, make it whatever you want. All right, I'm going to wrap it up there. That was ultra long. I hope that was interesting. We'll uh, we'll see what happens with this Twitter thing. Like, I don't know if it's going to roll out. I don't know. Well, it looks like it is for NZ and Philippines. I don't know if it'll roll out broader. I don't know if it'll be any good. Uh, but I do know that there's a lot of hyperbolic rubbish out there. So it's kind of like the Twitter of old, isn't it? Fun times. All right, folks. Thanks for watching. See you next week.